Hello, welcome to The Parent Panel. This is a show that values the real-life lived experience of mums and dads. No experts on this show. We invite one mum and one dad to share their wisdom and insight into the topics of the week. Our mum today is a podcast star at one of Australia's biggest women's networks, and our dad is a comedian who has a penchant for fine wine. Well, sometimes you catch yourself just being bossed around. You're going, wait, wait a second. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, I'm an adult. <laughs> Neve one day took her nappy off and just rubbed it on the wall. Oh, wow. I think you're still in the trenches with your kids. I like the expression trenches. I sometimes call it the vortex. <laughs> the Parent Panel with Siobhan Hunt. Holly Wainwright is our mum. She's Mamma Mia's head of content and co-host of the podcast, This Glorious Mess. She is the mum of one girl who is now eight. Nine. Nine. Mm. Oh, my goodness. They just keep getting older. I know. What is with that? <laughs> I know. Stop growing up. <laughs> and one son. How old is he now? He just turned seven. Seven and nine now. Seven and nine. Apparently, that's the... The golden age. Is that right, Merrick? Mine is seven and nine at the moment, but my son's about to turn 10 next week. Oh, so then you'll be out of the golden? Is that a good age, Merrick? Look, you know what? To be honest, it kind of ended for me at around about three, three years of age. (laughs) That's when I... That's when I went, oh, this is this is uh, no longer cute. Is, okay. You can go back to where you came yeah, from. Yeah, okay. Oh, look, you've got human man teeth now. They're not even – as soon as they lose their children's teeth, you just go, you're not a child. Go to work in a coal mine. And, of course, Merrick Watts. Comedian Merrick Watts is our dad, who has a boy and a girl. Poor loves. <laughs> oh, no, not I cute agree anymore. I saw a really lovely photo of your family on Instagram, and you have – Beautiful looking children and wife. Oh, stunt doubles, all of them. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you know when they sometimes they do an at home shoot with celebrities, and it's not actually in their home, and that's not their furniture. Yes, yes. I just do that with my family. I keep the home. <laughs> Switching the family. I thought my children were beautiful, but I got the school photos back this week and I swear they've photoshopped my son. They have. They've airbrushed him. And I was like, that isn't you. And then I was like, clearly he was not good enough. That's terrible. His standards were not high enough. Do you really? You would know photoshopping when you see it. I will share it, Siobhan, and you can see it. Oh, my goodness. I know. Who knew? What is that? I'd be be going right up to that school. Shall I write an angry letter? Is it angry letter Oh, yeah, because they've never had one before. No, Something new for them. <laughs> All right. Our topics today are creating memories for your kids, whether parenting is the most important job you will ever do, and stuff your kids say that you wish you could. First up, though, what got you through the first weeks of parenting? I'm so hungry I could eat a, a whole elephant. I need it now! This weekend was a nightmare. Take out in a movie? Honey, just keep the coffee coming or I'll give you a tip you won't forget. Since giving birth several weeks ago, comedian Amy Schumer has been posting some very real images of life after childbirth. There are shots of her on the toilet, pumping, and now in her hospital underwear. The undies shot was accompanied by praise of the comfy Grundies that are getting her through the hard stuff. Holly, what was it that got you through those early weeks of parenting? Well, I have to say I've been loving Amy Schumer's feed, although I I still have a slight suspicion that the baby nurses and stuff might be being airbrushed out like my child's school (laughs) photo. But anyway, um, it reminded me of what I I remember thinking that in those early days of parenthood and the pictures that you save and that you post of you and your baby or, you know, keep to show everybody – 
it's the pictures that you didn't take that tell more of a story. And I often think about that, the ones of you with bleeding nipples and, you know, endless tears in the middle of the night and screaming at your partner that then doing everything wrong and all the cups of tea you didn't drink. So I'm kind of glad that Schumer is sharing those. But I think in reality, what got me through was a box set of Mad Men. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um I know that when you're breastfeeding in those early days you are meant to be gazing lovingly at your child and connecting all the time. But as every new mother will know, you spend a lot of time. If you're breastfeeding and as you're learning to do it, it's a lot of hours, a lot of hours. And so I decided quite early on to throw in the uh, gazing lovingly at my child and do something that I'd always wanted to do, apart from being a parent, which was watch Mad Men from start yep. to finish. That's it. Yep. It's, time. it's just get into that little cave and stay there. And that's yeah. what I did. And I watched literally a box set of DVDs because it must have been The Times. And then on my iPad, even in the middle of the night. And I have to say that that distraction from the really weird universe I suddenly found myself in was very helpful. Yeah, no, I did the same. I can't remember. I I definitely watched things on my iPad, but they probably weren't as sedate as Mad Men. I I quite like my action series and stuff. (laughs) Bit of violence. Bit of violence. Not very nurturing, is it? Yeah, it wasn't. It didn't influence other children. It explains a lot now with my children and how yeah. they are. Merica, you weren't breastfeeding through the no. night, but it can be tough for dads too, can't it? No. <laughs> no. That's the easiest part for us. I think it becomes harder for us a little bit later on once, you know, children are kind of up and about and mobile, but pre-mobile... They are, they're just, they're with their mums and the dads, we have nothing to do. We're standing around not knowing what to do. We're like an apprentice who's never done a day's work in their life. We're just standing around going, can I help? No, go away. Okay. (laughs) Can I make something? No, go away. Okay. And so you actually kind of, you know, find yourself trying to look as though you're being supportive. It's really weird. You make up these supportive roles that are not actually necessary because, you know, in those early days, if your wife is breastfeeding, you are absolutely useless. What, What are the supportive roles you make? up though, Merrick. I'm, I'm curious. We'll let Holly and I judge whether they were necessary uh, or not. You know, cooking and cleaning, I suppose. that I was just trying to do that. That is, you know, you just do that as a fundamental. But, you know, like I was, I was, I was trying to, you know, going out to the shops and trying to, you know, get across what we would need from a baby care perspective, you know, right, trying to get to know the products that are associated with the child as opposed to just coming home with a bag of burger rings, which was common. <laughs> I'd go out and say, oh, I'm just going to go to the chemist. And my wife would be like, oh, that's great. I need some, you know, boob pads or something like that. And I'd come home and go, oh, burger rings. Sorry. <laughs> I f- forgot to go to the chemist. Got distracted. So you actually didn't need anything to get you no. through those. You were fine. No, no I was going to say Oxycontin before, but then I went... <laughs> Compared to a box series of Mad Men, that'll look really bad if I tell the truth. So I'm not going to tell the truth. I like that you're owning that, Merrick, because a lot of guys would say it was very hard for me to realise no. that I didn't have a place in this special no. new mm. No, the misery comes later. Uh. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, next we're talking about creating memories and learning lessons. You want to go out into the world, you can. You will grow up, go out into the world. He suggested I go out into the world and pursue my dreams. I'm leaving tomorrow. For a while now, I've been wanting to take my kids to a camp called Rewild Your Child um, because I'm a big fan of nature play and nature in general, but I am personally terrified of anything with more than four legs. Can't pitch a tent. And if I'm honest, I'm just a city girl at heart. Like I, 
I don't even pretend that I could make it in the bush. So Rewild Your Child is this program where you just go out bush, away, you go off on, you know, unpaved roads and to a place with no Wi-Fi, just the basic amenities. Stop it. I know, I know, Holly. She's right. <laughs> Well, this is the thing. I think you could, and then they take your kid and let them just go crazy in the bush. Um, and so, this is the thing that I think I need to outsource. I'd go with them, but I need someone to help me do so, it. Are the, are the parents invited to kind of, you know, be there at all times, as it were? Well, no. Well, the idea is the kids go off and do their thing and just mm. go crazy like we did as kids. And the parents can sit around the campfire, they mm. have cups of tea. Mm. I, I'm actually not quite clear no what the parents do. There's a whole lot of parents sitting around <laughs> no Instagram. A, a campfire that's not burning, just holding massive wads of cotton wool going, what do I do with this? <laughs> Seems like I've got an excess of this stuff now. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So that's my thing. I need a bit of push in that direction. Um, but Merrick, if there was an experience you'd like your children to have that you, you can't actually offer on your own, what would it be? And why would you want them to have that experience? This is going to be this is going to sound awful as most things I say do, but um, I I would probably like to take my son shooting. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Oh. Can I just say, we were talking about gun control right before we came into the oh. studio, so I'm curious. Because when I was a boy, uh, we had guns when I was a kid. It was very common in the 80s for people to have rifles and stuff like that. So we had access to, from a very early age, I was aware and around firearms. And uh, we had friends of the family who had um, property and we would go and as small children would go uh, rabbit shooting at night uh, with the adults, uh, only with blokes who had been drinking. Um, <laughs> it was the 80s, yep. And operate some firearms. <laughs> yeah. um, but what, what it taught me was that, you know, cause and consequence is that we, I would see somebody uh, shoot a rabbit which is a pest anyway, you've got to get rid of. But it wasn't, to, it wasn't to just blow them away with a shotgun. They were shot. Then my dad's friend, in front of my eyes, I was only a very, very young boy, I watched him gut it, skin it, and then take the meat away, break up the, 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 the carcass, and we ate it. And that was it. And that's that, the concept that children are losing is, where does your food actually come from? Now, I'm not suggesting we go out and shoot a cow, mm. um, but... I think that my son has been, uh, he caught a fish uh, when I went fishing with him last year and he wanted to kill it. Not because he's bloodthirsty. He's a very, very sensitive boy. And I was really quite surprised and intrigued as to why he wanted to kill it. And I think because he actually wanted to eat it, not because he wanted to kill the animal. He would never harm an animal. He's not that kind of boy. But I think that there's a really good um, lesson for children to learn the difference between cruelty and you know, hunting and foraging. And, you know, I know that there's going to be a lot of animal activists that say, oh, American, you can't say that. And well, you know what? It's It's been around for millions of years. And it and is a life And if there is lesson. an apocalypse, your son <laughs> yes. will keep you fed. Yeah. I'm not and gonna, we'll all starve. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to turn to the vegans if it all goes south. <laughs> um, so don't laugh at that. They'll hunt you down for, for me saying that. Peter's on to you now. How do you think your son would react now if he saw somebody skinning a rabbit that had just been killed? My I really children don't know. would lose it. I really don't know. He's got no interest in kind of preparing, you know, carcasses or meats or anything like that, like, you know, to do them up. And um, I don't know. I really don't know. But I think that that is, that's something I can't do. I don't own firearms. I don't want to own firearms. Uh, I can take him fishing and we can, you know, catch a fish, kill it and eat it. But... Um, I think that is a really very, very confronting thing that I think that 
um, we are we have such a great tendency to shield children from the realities of the world. That is Especially a reality. in the city. Yeah. Because I know we had family in the country growing up and I'll never forget my uncle saying to me, you know that lamb we had last night? That's what it was yep. and it was the, the sheepskin. Yeah. And yep. I was horrified because as I, as I have mentioned, I'm a city girl at heart. <laughs> yep. But that was normal for them growing up. That cycle of life yep. was something and they. I can't help but see the, the irony. Tell me if you believe this, right? The, the irony of the fact that you go to a supermarket and you see all the cuts of meat, for an animal, a protein. You go by and you just select one and you go away and you eat it. And there's an irony there that it's essentially like a feedlot. You have no idea what you're consuming, really. You haven't seen where it's come from, like the animal that, ironically, you're eating. You're eating an animal that you, and then you are replicating that behaviour before it. Mm. Anyway, got pretty deep there, didn't oh my it? God, I did. Holly, <laughs> can you can you dig oh, us out of that? My daughter, my daughter does know where meat comes from, and that's why she's a nine-year-old vegetarian, which is really annoying in many ways. But anyway, um, I can be a smug parent in this conversation because my daughter and I are about to do something that I would not be doing if it wasn't for the help of this organisation that I'm doing it with, and I'm taking her to Uganda for more than a week with um, a charitable organisation called School for Life. You are not going to shoot Ugandans. Tell me that is too far. <laughs> I said rabbits, rabbits. Oh, wow! I haven't had enough of a bad time. <laughs> Mary, I think I think there are going to be enough things that uh, that shock the hell out of my nine-year-old daughter in Uganda without us having to pull out any firearms. Although she will see some because apparently we will have an armed guard wherever we go, which is alarming in itself. Um, so. I decided to do this with her because like a lot of middle-class city parents, I'm like, do you know how lucky you are Mm. all the time to my children? Do you have any idea? And they don't have any idea. And to be really honest, nor do I. I mean, people keep saying to me, this is going to be such an eye-opening experience. Basically, we're going with this organisation that builds schools in in rural Uganda. And it's an Australian-owned organisation, but everyone they employ is local. It's sustainable. um, And it's a really amazing organisation. Anyway, we're going... Everyone keeps saying it's going to be so eye-opening for her. It's going to be eye-opening for me. I've Mm -hmm. never actually been to Africa, and I've certainly never been to somewhere that has this level of poverty, so it will be very interesting. But it will be fascinating to see if it has the effect that my partner and I are imagining, which is that she just comes back and is like, thank you, thank you for our lovely, (laughs) safe, warm home. Thank you for my lovely clothes. Thank you for my vegetarian sausages. Thank you for (laughs) taking me to the beach every day. Who knows? I don't know if it will. It will. It will. And I say this from experience, Holly, because uh, when I was a child, my father used to take us. We didn't go on family holidays. We went on educationals, right? It's a weird thing. (laughs) So we would go overseas, but my dad would always make us learn something. And it was either, you know, in a gallery or it was out in the streets, whatever. Anyway, when I was a a young boy, I think I might have been about 10 or 11, my father left my mother in Manila and he took my brother and I and paid two men to take us and walk us through the shanty towns of Manila. Oh, wow. We were the only foreigners within kilometers. No one, we're talking cardboard houses, like proper cardboard houses. In a poverty beyond imagination, I saw a five-year-old kid smoking cigarettes. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was very confronting. And it did, when I went back to our luxury hotel, (laughs) I did say to myself, Wow, that is that has left an impression on me, and it always has. I've always thought it's a really good lesson to teach children in this country just how fortunate they are. So I reckon your daughter will come back with a greater sense of what she's afforded here. Mm, well, if I'll... not, she's going to come back with an AK-47 because <laughs> you really took it to is. Uganda. <laughs> she will. And she'll also probably come back... Um, 
eating meat because she'll yep. be like, I'm just lucky to eat anything. Yeah. Mum, I'd like some more giraffe. Oh, she'd not have taken you to Uganda. Oh, no. All right. Parenting is life-changing and can shift your priorities, but is it the most important job you will ever do? Uh, Jake, get me a Band-Aid, okay? Here, here, go stir. You like to stir. Here, let's take a look at it. Let's take a look, see if it's okay. Ah! Oh, no, I'm just kidding. So it's actually not... It's a... Uh, Dad? Yeah? This goo's on fire. Oh, no, no, that's the way Dad likes it. Nice and hot and nice and spicy. Yeah, here we go. There we go. So that's Steve Martin attempting to parent all his many children in the movie Cheaper by the Dozen. You could argue, if you have a dozen children, that is going to be your most important job. I don't know how you can do anything else. Uh, But recently, the Instagram account Humans of New York posted an image of a mother with a toddler. The woman was a former emergency doctor who admitted that the first years of parenting were quite challenging. And she said, basically, he quotes, if you don't know Humans of New York, he quotes the people he photographs. And this is what she said. If some people love parenting, that's very lucky. There are certainly moments when it's wonderful. But to believe motherhood is the most important job in the world, you'd have to believe your child is the most important person in the world. And there were other things that she wrote. And, of course, there was... Yes, lots of outrage. Many people disputed her claim. They say that um, parenthood is the most important job because you're raising another human who will go on into the world to either be good or bad in that world. Holly, you have a very important job. Oh, yes. Uh, It's a very important job. Um, Is being a parent the most important job in the world? I've been tying myself in existential knots about this question all morning, to be honest. (laughs) Because, no, it's not. There's no way that it is. Um, for a start, the uh, entry-level qualifications are very low. Pretty much <laughs> yeah. anybody is allowed to do it. And plenty of us do it really badly. So um, if it was the most important job in the world, I think many of us would be failing terribly. But, of course, it is true that a lot of the world's problems you could put back to those people weren't loved enough as children. So well, you mean you is, can blame the mother, yes, which is what everyone does exactly. anyway. As this woman has just learned, the emergency doctor in New York. So I've been tying myself in knots about it, but no, it isn't the most important job in the world. I mean, trying to find a cure for cancer, possibly a more important job. I mean, I I don't think it is. But you said you're having an existential crisis about it. So there was part of you that was thinking... Well, I definitely believe, obviously, that it is a very important job and that, you know, it, we all try and do our absolute best to give our kids the best start in life but there is also a lot of that that is beyond your control. So I just don't think that it is. And also, I mean, I worked in magazines for years. I can't tell you how many times I wrote the headline. We're talking to lovely actress so-and-so who starred in such and such, but now she's doing the most important role of her life. (laughs) Parenting her lovely little baby. And it's just a cliche that I think that people who have very important jobs, it's not less important, but I just, no, I don't think it is. But is there, I suppose, a... um partition between job and role, right? Your role is the most important job and the most important role to you to be a parent. That's my my most important job. My most important role is to be a father. But in that, in that, that job description takes several roles. And I think that, you know, if you look at it holistically, and particularly for men, I think historically, and maybe not necessarily now, but your primary job, your primary role is to be a provider. First and foremost, just 
be a provider. And my parents' generation, my father only had to do that. And that's all he did. Mm. He just said, I'll just do the providing and that's it. I won't do the other role, which is to be a caregiver and a nurturer, right? But it's not, I think they're about roles. So my role is now, I suppose, it's divided. I've got a role to be a uh, a primary um, uh, income earner for my family and also to to be um, a a really visible parent and to be present for my children as well. And I think that's changed. So is it the most important job? I think that's up to the individual. To me, yeah, it is the most important job because I don't, I've never actually had a real job. I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> I don't, I don't actually know what work is. I talk into a stick. So. But I think that, you know, for a lot of people being a very good role model for our children involves our work. You know, and I'm mm. I'm not suggesting that you know, <laughs> like you, I uh, I write words and I and I talk a lot, and I'm not saying that that is changing the world, but for a lot of people, showing that you need to find a meaningful meaningful pursuit in your life that makes a contribution to the world is part of what you're role modeling to your kids. So I don't know. I think you're right, Merrick, that these words, job and role, kind of mix all this up. But I think if we really thought that parenthood was the most important thing we did, then that is all we would do. And I, uh, the other part of this equation, I think, is like you said, Holly, with that headline, is that um, often for women anyway, no matter what they have done in life, being a mother everyone always assumes that trumps every other achievement they've had, which kind of Mm. diminishes their other achievements, which is not to say that, you know, women don't feel that motherhood is the most important role in their life. But to say that to someone who's won the Nobel Peace Prize or, you know, has overcome massive challenges to be whatever their career might be, Mm. is it diminishes women, I think, and says that this... You know, this is the you should be satisfied. And is that do you reckon that's set by that agenda is set by men or by women more? I think it's a bit of both. I'm just trying to push the blame back onto women. (laughs) (laughs) I think that we, as as women, we're still trapped in that. I think it will be because we do feel enormous guilt if we ever put anything above our children, as if there is this very clear hierarchy, which realistically it's an ever moving feast. And sometimes work does have to come first and sometimes it doesn't. And I think that it's very hard to prioritize things that are that important. And you've got the one thing that just sits on your shoulder like a dead canary, which which is your mother-in-law. You see? <laughs> She's just there just going, what are you doing right? Not very much. You should have a child. Come on, stand up for your mother-in-law. You want to be successful, have oh, another child. Yes. <laughs> All right, look, we've got our final topic in just a moment. When has your kid said something you wish you had been able to say? Your kids evolve and are smarter than you. He taught me everything I know. He's a very smart kid. I'm sure you are too. So there's a video that has gone viral. Um, It's a father who filmed his son on a plane in the US. And his son, who was four, was complaining about the passenger behind him and their stinky feet. (sighs) And he was very vocal about it. Basically, this woman had sat beside this boy, taken her shoes off and stuck them around the side of the armrest. Yuck. No, that's just 101. No, never. You're a pig. You're a pig. (laughs) Well, now she's been globally shamed by this viral video. revolting. Because then the father, I actually noticed, had put the camera around so you could see his laughing face and you could see the woman behind him as well. Everyone knows that you're supposed to take them off, turn them upside down and pretend that that keeps the stench in. That's what you're supposed to do. Yuck. That's what Holly does. It's not your lounge room. Here's the thing. It's not your. It's not your home. It's a communal space. 
God. So obviously pe- oh. people everywhere are championing yeah. this boy for saying what was really happening. Merrick, when has your child said something you wish you'd been able to say? Well, very similarly but different. My my son, he's probably not as uh, vocal, but my daughter does tend to, like me, she'll just blurt things out. And we were on a plane uh, once and she saw a guy and he was he was a big dude. And uh, my daughter said uh, he was struggling to get into his seat. And my daughter didn't say it within earshot of him, but did say it loud enough. She said, that man's too big for that seat. Ooh. And I said, sweetheart... He's too fat. I'd never said that. But... <laughs> I was genuinely shocked. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Both Holly and I were like, "What's the outrage?" But at least she, but at least she didn't say that. She, but she meant because he was a big dude and he was not fitting into the chair, you know, because economy class is not exactly, um, oh, you no. know, yeah, it's not exactly Spacious. generous. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I think that sometimes you know, children don't have that filter and they just say what we're scared of saying. Absolutely. Sometimes I think my children are my heroes in that regard because I'm not very good at confrontation. And once we were on a bus, I used to, when my little boy was at preschool, I often used to get the bus up to drop him off. And it was like our Friday morning treat. We'd sit on the bus and we'd, you know. And one time this lady who was sitting next to me got really antsy that I'd press the button to get off the bus. This is an express bus. It's not supposed to stop here. Don't you know Mm. that? You're really slowing us all down. And I'm like, I didn't really know what to say. And I got up and I was all red. And she kept going. She was in my face. She kept going, it's people like you. You're being so selfish. And I was like, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. The bus driver said, uh, you know, I was doing that. And my little boy just turned around to her and said, you are not very nice. (laughs) (laughs) And the lady was really shocked and a bit taken aback. And I was just like, yeah, what he said. (laughs) Got off the bus, bustling past everybody, probably inconveniencing all the commuters. But yeah, sometimes they really are. My heroes in that way. Oh, that is brilliant. And then other times they're not like the other day. You know how you're never in the bathroom on your own when you have small children? And my daughter was in the bathroom on the toilet and she saw me getting out of the shower and she just said, Mom, do you go to the gym? At least you didn't say, do you go to the beautician? That's too much. <laughs> I was like, sometimes, yes. What are you saying? And she probably didn't mean anything by it, but to mm. me, all that truth came flooding towards oh, my me. My kids are very detailed about <laughs> that sort of thing. Mom, you've got a really nice wobbly bum. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Kids. It Charles. only gets worse. <laughs> all right. And I don't tell us that, Mary. It's true. You've got the oldest kids among us all. I know. Take it from me. Trust me. <laughs> it's a no slippery slope. <laughs> All right. Well, that was our last topic. But uh, before I let you go, Holly, um, I know that you're raising money for the School of Life that you're speaking about with the organisation. It's a it's a good cause. This fundraising isn't to pay for your ticket. No, no. I've been Matilda and I have been raising. Um, well, our target was five thousand dollars for School for Life, and yeah, of course, it's not for my trip. It's to build uh, the schools out there, and we have hit our target. But we're keeping up. Matilda's terrible at fundraising. I have to say, she just keeps going. Can we have another cupcake sale? And then she just eats all the cupcakes, yeah. and it's not really working out. But if anybody does uh, want to contribute to School for Life's amazing work, you'll find them at schoolforlife.org. And where can people find you online, Holly? They like can to. find me on Facebook as Holly Wainwright or on Instagram as Wainwright Holly. Tricky. tricky. It is very yeah. tricky. Are you going to be posting this trip? Definitely. And uh, and doing a little podcast bonus from there. So I'll be recording <laughs> the culture shock. It'll be very interesting. I'm actually a little bit terrified. I'll have to uh, will we, I'll report back. Well, we, yeah, I can't wait to hear how it goes. We're all, we're behind you. Merrick's going to donate, aren't you, Merrick? Yeah, absolutely. And if you'd like to donate to my cause, which is take my son shooting, um, just go to shootingsons.com.au. 
But you do have an Instagram account. Yeah, just whatever. I've got nothing. I've got nothing <laughs> to vlog. Got, got I, yeah, I just realised that I've got nothing. Like I should have it. Should have come in here armed with a charity to support. <laughs> I feel like I'd be trapped. Yeah. It's a trap. <laughs> He's, Merrick Watts is still a wonderful human being. He is a great guy. He's a great guy. He's a great guy he, with no charitable means. Whatever. He knows how to skin a rabbit. He does. Very impressed. <laughs> Holly, Merrick, thank you so much Pleasure. for coming in. Thank you. I'm Siobhan Hunt. We'll put links to where you can donate to Holly's School for Life fundraising efforts. You can find me at Siobhan Hunt. See you next time. You've been listening to The Parent Panel, a babyology podcast. Hosted and written by Siobhan Hunt. Produced and edited by Debbie Ning. For more information on the show or to check out other episodes with equally funny and insightful guests, you can find all you need at our website, babyology.com.au slash parent panel.